All right, there we go. Mark Tibbetts, welcome to the show. Thanks a lot, Taylor. Nice to be here. Man, it's um, it's really great to have you on. I know um, I, I first became aware of you um, on Twitter, you know, getting as, as, you know, interwoven into the libertarian scene, um, as I have. And, you know, I, I live in San Antonio. I'm a, I'm a Texas resident, so I'll be, I'll be looking to vote come November. And I think, uh, like a lot of Texans, um, there's a lot of us, I, I feel like are not too happy with the two mainstream choices, uh, that we have in, in governor Abbott and, and Beto O'Rourke. And I think, uh, I think this governor race is, um, it is one where people are going to be looking for another option. I know I am. So it's just really, uh, you know, really good to have you on the show to, uh, talk about that. I want to know, man, how's the campaign trail been treating you so far? Uh, well, uh, once again, Taylor, thank, thanks for having me here. Um, it's always uh, a pleasure to be on, uh, as many of the shows that I can so far, uh, the campaign has been, uh, very, very uh, successful. It's been very good. We have, um, uh, when I ran in 2018, we broke all state records of as far as number of votes uh, obtained for Libertarian. Uh, this go around, we have already uh, achieved some things that have never been achieved before, <clears throat> uh, namely uh, been on the same stage as uh, one of the two-party main candidates. Uh, we uh, were on the same stage and debated uh, Beto O'Rourke in in Dallas uh, in front of a bunch of students uh, and received tremendous uh, acceptance. But as expected, it is very frustrating trying to run a campaign with the limited resources that you have and with the two-party system mm -hmm. uh, that we call a duopoly fighting against you every step of the way, we have proven that they can work together, especially if it is trying to keep libertarians off the ballot. They uh, enacted laws that we uh, have been fighting, and just recently they filed a petition to kick, oh, 20 some odd uh, libertarians off of the ballot. Right. Uh, so it, it, it's, it's a struggle. The two party system, uh, the duopoly, like I say that we call it, they, they want to keep it a duopoly because they can blame each other for everything that they have done. And I am told all the time, you need to smile more. You need to be more, uh, you know, happy, enthusiastic, but, but but then I turn uh, turn on the TV and see what the two party system is doing to us, and I mean just recently, uh, our founding fathers fought uh, one tyrant five thousand miles away to not have to pay taxes for taxes and for control, and now we're fighting five thousand tyrants one mile away that are enacting new laws. 80 some odd billion dollars more for 87,000 more tax collectors. If memory serves, that's more IRS agents than the British army had coming after us. <laughs> it, 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 the, the irony of the whole thing is just so ludicrous. 
and it doesn't seem like the two party system gets it. No, I, I, I think you're right. And it's, um, I, I saw that same thing about them wanting to kick all those, all those libertarians off the ballot. And it's just, you know, if, if, if that doesn't show that they see you guys as a threat, you know, I don't know what will. I mean, it's very clear that they don't want libertarians involved in this process at all. And it's, they're, they're pretty open about just wanting to kick you guys off for that, that reason. Did they, did they try doing this kind of stuff when you ran in the last cycle or in any previous cycles? And are, are they going to be successful in kicking you guys off the ballot? That would just be awful. They have been semi-successful in, in kicking us off the ballot. Um, they have not been totally successful. He, here is the crux of the whole thing is the Republicans and Democrats, they just have to file uh, a, a grievance or complaints. And then the secretary of state runs with it. We are fighting. And then the libertarians, when we fight it, we have to spend tens of thousands of dollars in fighting these uh, laws uh, to, to try to get that they are so unconstitutional. You can read uh, what the judges say about it. They're saying laws like this are obviously, and I'm just uh, ad living here, but laws like this are, are obvious, obviously intended to keep third party candidates off the ballot. And you have Republicans that control uh, the, the Congress, that, that control the state, openly stating that they consider it a dereliction of duty, not getting the libertarians kicked off of the ballot. Right. This is, I mean, we need more choices. We need more options because if we see what's going on with the two-party system, they're really not that much different. They are growing the government I mean, just turn on the TV, just just watch how they're growing the government and people don't get it that, for instance, this IRS growth, it, it is nothing but to control us and to arm, to have a standing army, basically, to control the general public, to take away our freedoms and our liberties. And if we do not fight for them, if we do not fight for them with every breath we take, with every fiber of our being, we are going to lose them and we will never get them back. Half of me believes that this fight is over, uh, but I still have to keep fighting. I still have to keep voicing my opinion until it is silenced and I have no other recourse. Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. That's why it's it's so important to have guys like you and um, other, you know, a lot of the libertarians that I've talked to and even other ones around the country. It's it's so important <clears throat> for you guys to give voters that option, because a lot of us see it in the same way that you do. I mean, I, I don't know how anyone can see the hiring of I believe 87,000 IRS agents, I believe it was. I, sure. I don't see how anyone can look at that. And see it as anything other than the government exercising control that they that they should not have. 
And that's why, you know, I was really, I was really glad to get you uh, scheduled on the show. So, so I could talk to you about some of these things, but just before we get you know too deep into it, could you tell me a little bit about, you know, yourself and your background and, you know, how you got involved with the Libertarian Party and, and what ultimately, you know, inspired you to run for governor? Well, I, my father uh, was a World War II vet. Mm-hmm. He raised us, his family, basically with fundamental libertarian values. And, and I've said this before, uh, the Libertarian Party itself, even though it's been around for 50 years, the libertarian ideals and libertarianism was, was what founded this country. And I have been all my life a libertarian, and I would be a libertarian even if the Libertarian Party did not exist. Mm-hmm. I would still have those core fundamental libertarian values. Um, as far as my background and myself, I am, um, uh, I was born and raised uh, in Mexico. I uh, am a uh, a licensed Mexican attorney. I studied law in Mexico. I I got an MBA from Mexico, uh, San Luis Potosi, Mexico. I practice law in Mexico. I am an international legal and business consultant for people who have uh, businesses or property in Latin America. I am bilingual, bicultural. Uh, I am a father of six, a grandfather of seven. I have lived in the state of Texas. Uh, I have had my permanent residency here for over 25 years. I am a U.S. citizen uh, by birthright. My parents uh, were both both, uh, from the United States. Therefore, I'm a natural born citizen. And with my background, I I view some of the issues, well, actually all the issues that face us, I view them from an out-of-the-box kind of perspective, that I don't have the typical solutions that most you'll hear from most politicians of, well, we need more government. We need to put a, a, a study in that. We need to more taxes, as the Democrats always are going, we need more taxes. We need to pay people more money. We need money, 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 money. Uh, and you hear from the Republicans, we need to reduce government. We're, but they, it, it's just lip service. Mm-hmm. In reality, they, they do nothing except increase the government over and over again. My view is and always has been and always will be returning the power. And I, I really don't like using that word power, but returning the rights, the liberties, the freedoms to the people. Uh, we were found it to be a government uh, uh, by the people, uh, for the people, of the people, for the people, and by the people. And we have have ceased to be that. And there are a lot of issues that I can point to 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 bring this out. For instance, in in education, Hmm. we have to return the rights and responsibilities to the parents. We have to empower the parents to where the education money must follow the beneficiaries, in other words, the students and the people responsible that know that the students better of what their qualifications are, whether it, it, it needs to go 
to a college, whether it doesn't need to go to college, the parents know more along with their children of what education they need and the best way to get it. Mm-hmm. Including with that, the education system and the schools that offer the best uh, security for, for the children, not a government dictated from Washington with all the federal dollars of what should be done in the schools or the state dictating what should be done in the schools, because then you have a, a single idea bringing forth the education for our children. Mm-hmm. It should be the parents that are empowered to make those determinations along with the schools. And I will add here also the sheriff's department. The Uvalde situation mm-hmm. that took place, as as tragic as as it is, it, there is, like I said, I'm I'm a father of, of six, a grandfather of seven. Nothing bothers me worse than incidences like that. But is what it shows is that we have such a cluster mess with our uh, policing system. There was how many police entities were involved there pointing the finger of who had the authority to do this or who had the right to do this other. Simply put, it should have been the only responsibility there should be the sheriff. Mm. Anything that happens within a county should be the responsibility of the sheriff. No federal or state agent agency, policing agency, federal or state, should be allowed to operate w- within a county without the authority and consent of the sheriff because he is the ultimate authority. If an FBI agent goes and screws something up, the public can't hold him accountable. Right. But we can hold the sheriff accountable. Yeah, no, I, th- <clears throat> I think you're absolutely um, right. And, I, and I'm glad, you know, you mentioned Uvalde because I think, you know, I think that on that day, time stood still for a lot of us here uh, in Texas. So, you know, I, I said before, I'm a, a San Antonio resident. Uvalde is, you know, 80 miles and some change um, west of here. And, yeah. of course, it's just, you know, absolutely horrific what happened there, 19 students and two teachers murdered um, in school. It's one of the most horrific things you can imagine. And, and you know, I, th- I think you're right in that, you know, you can hold the sheriff accountable and the, you know, the families in Uvalde do want to do that. And they've been, you know, taking steps on their own to try to ensure um, that that happens. But, but what are, what are some steps that you think we can take to help keep kids uh, safer in school because you know I, I think the conversation always gets brought back to to gun control and then both sides kind of run off to their camps and their corners and then nothing nothing ultimately gets done to actually keep kids safe so if you you know get elected governor in November what what are some steps you think that that you would be able to take that that would help keep kids safe in school that is a, a very loaded, and, and if I may, and if I get off track of where you're trying to make me go, uh, bring me back on track, but let, let me back off to, to holding the sheriff accountable. Mm-hmm. I, I am by no means am I saying that in this circumstances we should hold the sheriff accountable uh, because 
the sheriff's powers, the sheriff's actual constitutional uh, authority has been usurped so bad that they need, the sheriffs need a governor that will stand up and, and tell the sheriffs, you have full authority to exercise your constitutional right by being elected sheriff to arrest and throw in jail any agency. I don't care if it's IRS. I don't care if it's FBI. I don't care if it's DEA. I don't care what it is. Mm-hmm. Even a state agency to arrest them and throw them in jail if they are operating in your county without your particular consent and supervision. But until they have that, until they have a governor that will actually back them with all the authority that that, it, that is bestowed on them to do so, their hands are semi-tied. Why? Because the FBI and some of these federal agencies will come in bullying a sheriff. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, we see it over and over again of, of what happened, and this goes back in history, but what happened in, in um, uh, Ruby Ridge, Idaho, what happened in Waco, you had the federal agencies coming in and, and usurping that authority that belonged to the sheriff. The sheriff could have just calmed those situations down and, and, and uh, resolved them now. Going back to uh, back to the question of, of uh, what should be done for, for the, the schools and going forward, you what you cannot do is have one mindset, which is the same mindset that has created these problems. There is there is almost no issue that faces today that we cannot track it back to the government actually creating the problem. There is very few problems that we have right today, including the war on drugs, including the immigration, that we cannot trace it back to the government creating the problem. Now, as far as what could be done in in the uh, situations to try to prevent situations like Ovalde. You are absolutely correct. It was absolutely gut-wrenching. And I will never, ever say that I know what those parents are going through or went through. I can imagine. And I don't want my imagination even to go there. Mm -hmm. But the one thing, if everybody will notice... And they, they criticized me. Uh, uh, everybody criticized me from my own people to Democrats to Republicans of why I wasn't at Uvalde, why I wasn't interrupting press conferences, why I wasn't yelling this and that and the other. Because is all Governor Abbott and Beto O'Rourke is all they did is try to get political capital off of grieving parents, off of grieving individuals. And I refused to do that. I, there, there was absolutely nothing that Beto O'Rourke should have said or, the, or anybody should have said that was appropriate at that time. It surely wasn't appropriate to point fingers and blame other people uh, for issues on hindsight. However, 
is what has to be done, not what should be done or could be done. What has to be done is we must empower the parents along with the uh, administrators and teachers with the guidance of the sheriff to institute their own safety protocols. We cannot have the federal government instituting our safety protocols and we cannot have the state government. We can have the federal government and the state government offering assistance Mm -hmm. in instituting those protocols. But we must not, as parents, they know best how to protect their children. In a society, we know best who the troublemakers are. When I was going to school, and I probably shouldn't say this, but I will. When I was going to school, anything ever happened in the school, you know, uh, somebody set off firecrackers or whatever, where's Mark? They knew who the troublemaker was. Uh, <laughs> uh, you just know. Uh, okay. And yes, I was blamed for a lot of things that I did not do. And, and I got away with a bunch of stuff too. So, but, I mean, it was a different time, but you still, the point is you still knew who was who in, in, in your, in your communities. And yes, there are some massive, big communities, but it is those communities that must instigate, like I say, along with the sheriffs, the, the different protocols for safety. And once they are instigate, uh, instituted, the protocols for safety for each individual school, then if the parents have, uh, if they have school choice, if the dollars actually follow the students, then they can take into consideration the safety protocols that are put in place in the different schools, whether it's public or private, that they can follow and they can choose to to send their children to. Yeah, I'm a, <clears throat> I'm re- I'm really glad uh, you you mentioned school choice because I you know I I knew that you were a big proponent of school choice and I've seen here recently, particularly this past. A uh, week or so, Greg Abbott has been hitting the campaign trail, talking about school choice and kind of bringing that back to the the forefront of of his agenda. And you know, I, I was wondering how your approach to school choice uh, would would differ from his. And I, I saw on your website you mentioned um, I believe a school choice law that was passed in Arizona um, that you really liked. I was wondering if you could, you know. Tell us about how you would approach school choice and and tell us a little bit about that plan in Arizona and and, and why you like it. The the Republicans, Greg Abbott, they taunt school choice every every election cycle Mm -hmm. and then they do nothing about it. Keep in mind, the Republicans have controlled the state legislature, have controlled this state for over 20 years. And they have taunted school choice. But what have they done? You could roll back uh, 20 years ago of what the governor was taunting to get elected or reelected. And it was part of it was school choice. But they have they have actually done nothing when it comes to school choice. 
And it does take a, a collective effort to, to get that passed. But the governor has a lot of, not necessarily authority, but has a lot of bully pulpit power to actually rally the people to force the state to pass the laws to give school choice. School choice is simple. It's very simple. Like Arizona, they have school choice. Is all it does is it says that the the education dollars must follow the student and the parents have the right to decide where those education dollars are spent. The um, If you have that, now keep this in mind. The Texas Constitution uh, mandates that the state provide efficient and free education. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think you and I can both agree that the education they provide right now is neither efficient, efficient or free. However, nothing in the Constitution mandates that Texas citizens must be educated by the state. Mm. The state must provide the means for the parents to educate their children. But the parents are not obligated to have the, the state schools or the state itself dictate how they educate their children. I don't know if I'm making any sense there. Uh, in, in other words, the state has a mandate to provide the means for the citizens of Texas to be educated, financial means. Mm-hmm. But the citizens of Texas are not, there's no mandate that says they must be educated by the public school system. Right. They could be educated by however they see fit. Yeah, and I mean, I think this is a, <clears throat> I, I, I think this issue is a, a really good example of how bad being forced into this duopoly is because Democrats don't, you know, they, they don't, they don't touch school choice at all. You know, they believe the only option should be, you know, government funded public schools. And like you said, Republicans have been in charge in Texas for, for decades and they've never passed it. And I figure a large part of that is because it's, you know, politically convenient for them to campaign on it. I mean, if you're a fan of school choice, and, you know, you feel like your only option is, you know, Republican or Democrat, you're going to continue to vote Republican, but you're not actually going to get school choice because <laughs> it's not something that they're willing to actually make any any progress on. So it's uh, it's really good to see you put this at the, you know, at the forefront of your campaign. And the Democrats and Republicans, they, they do this. Well, the Democrats are really blatant in, in, in their support of public education. I mean, they openly say we need to tax the people more and more and more money to pay the teachers more and more and more money. Uh, and at the same time, they say, well, the parents should have, uh, you know, the, the rights, but just not to educate their children how they see fit. Right. The parents, uh, any parent who wants vouchers are vultures. Those are words of a Democrat. Uh, those are the, 
the words of, of the Democrats of where they stand on on uh, school choice. They are totally against school choice at all costs. Why? Because it it messes with their their base. It messes with what they conceive is their base. My wife was a teacher for many many years, and she would prefer teaching. She ta- taught in public schools and she taught in private schools. She would prefer teaching in private schools. The education level, according to her, was much higher, much greater. The pay for teachers was so much less because there was not school choice, because the dollars did not follow the students. If the dollars followed the students, the private schools would would pretty much dominate because they can institute the programs that best comply with and best suit the parents of their students. Yeah, and I, you know, I just want to let you know we've got um, our, our our little time notification reminder popped up on Zoom. We've got about eight minutes left. I <clears throat> wish we could have gotten to this. I, I do want to ask you about the border, just real quick here. It's a <laughs> tough issue to kind of condense down like that, but another really good issue where Republicans and Democrats go off to their camps and nothing ends up getting done. Democrats don't seem to have any plan uh, <clears throat> for reforming. Uh, our immigration laws and Republicans that, you know, they like to talk tough, but then at the end of the day, what do they really do? That's, that's productive in helping uh, uh, the people down there. What would your um, approach to uh, reforming our illegal immigration laws be? And, and how would it differ from your, your opponents? First off, uh, let me address two issues in one here, mm-hmm. uh, immigration and uh, the war on drugs, shall we say, okay? Mm-hmm. Because, because they go hand in hand. And these are two issues that the government have created themselves and they are political issues that each side derives a lot of political uh, ammunition or uh, if you will, from those two issues. Right. The, and like I say, they do go hand in hand. And, and I know these few minutes, probably I will not be able to do it justice, but I will, I will try. The actual war on drugs is creating is a big part of the reason for our vast influx of immigrant immigrants at this particular time because they are trying to escape violence in their own countries created by the Democrats and Republicans want to say created by the cartels. No, we created them. And this is going to be a bitter pill to swallow. But the drug problem and the cartels and all that, we created them. Why? Because we consume all those drugs. And as long as we are fighting a war against the trafficking of drugs and not getting to the core issue of why we as Americans consume this vast quantity of drugs, we will never solve the problem. We may 
eliminate one cartel or another cartel, but it will always increase as long as it's a supply and demand. As long as we consume the drugs and they are illegal to consume, we will have this big problem. Most of the people crossing the border are not here, contrary to popular belief, they're not rapists and murderers. They are simple people trying to to make a better life for themselves and their family. Something that I would expect you and I to do if the shoe was on the other foot. If we were fighting to, to protect our family, I would expect that we would fight to get into the U.S., at all costs. We need to make it easier for good, hardworking people to enter into this country legally. Mm-hmm. Right now, it costs between five and $10,000, and I don't have exact figures on this, to pay a, a coyote to come into the United States. Okay, It would cost three, four times that if they tried to do it legally the way the system is now. We need comprehensive humanitarian immigration reform. And that has to come from the federal government. As governor, you can use all the powers at your disposal to force the federal government to comply with the laws that they should be upholding. Keep in mind, Texas is in a unique situation because unlike all the other states, Texas joined the union by treaty. And there are the treaty documents that can be enforced to force the federal government, or at least put a lot of pressure on the federal government to reform our immigration laws. But they also have to take into consideration the needs of the employers in the United States. Look around the state of Texas. It is the employers cannot find workers to to fill the jobs. And and a lot of people say they come to take our jobs. I defy anybody that lives in Texas that has lived here all their life. I defy them to get up on a roof and lay shingles at a hundred degree temperature. Right. (laughs) They they don't want to do it. They don't want to mow the lawns. They, 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 it, it is a false notion that they are coming here to take our jobs. That is a false notion. They are coming here to take the jobs that we do not want to do, and they are grateful for them. But until we take all this into consideration, until we stop the politicizing, the duopoly control of this situation, it will continue as a political hot potato for both the Democrats and Republicans. Every cycle it comes up and every cycle they do nothing about it. Yeah, you, you are, you are absolutely right. Um, It does come up every single cycle. And yet it seems like every single cycle, we are in the same boat that we were in the, you know, two years ago, four years ago, whatever cycle you want to look at. And, you know, we're, we're running out of time here, Mark. I, I I really want to thank you for coming on the show. I, you know, I, wanted to talk to you ever since I heard of you, because like I said, I, you really wasn't looking forward to having to cast a vote for uh, Governor Abbott or Beto in November. And now after talking to you, I, I feel a lot better 
about the up- upcoming election, knowing I have a a pro liberty candidate that I can, you know, proudly cast a vote for. So, th- I mean, thanks for coming on the show. Uh, thank you for all that you do. If people listening want to learn more about Mark and his campaign, you can go to mark4gov.com or uh, follow him on Twitter at mark4gov. And uh, just again, really appreciate you coming on the show. I had a lot of fun. It was it was great to talk to you. Uh, I appreciate it very much, Taylor. And I just uh, want everybody to know that we have to fight for our liberties and our freedoms. And this November, you can uh, fight for your liberties and freedoms by voting libertarian. Absolutely. As as they should. Again, thanks so much, Mark. I, I really appreciate it. I appreciate it, Mike Taylor. Okay.